Previously on the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Hey, are you kidding me? So then I'm thirsty, so I go in the the uh, <laughs> Hooley Manter, the Hooley refrigerator, the Hooley basement refrigerator, the refreshments uh, choice, <laughs> refreshment center. So I go and look, at, and I I like Diet Coke, yeah. Diet Pepsi, whatever. And then there's Diet Right. Diet Right. Well, that's the cold I, stuff. There I, might be Diet Coke or Diet I, Pepsi on top of the I, fridge. I don't know. Right. Diet Right. We're seen, old school here. I haven't Hulu. seen Diet Right since 1984 at yeah. Burger Chef on, on Cleveland Avenue in, in <laughs> Maslin, Ohio. Burger hey, Chef. Give me a cheeseburger and a Diet Right. Those were the uh, good old days. 1984, Mr. Spielman signing with the Buckeyes. And this is National yeah. Signing Day. And uh, I don't know. Celebrate with what was the ham? What was the big hamburger at the Burger Shop back then? Like the, I don't remember. I don't remember, but I remember after every win, and it was weekly at Maslin, we would all congregate at the Burger Shop. Yeah, it was on Lincoln, Lincoln Way, not Cleveland. Oh, Lincoln Way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, well, there's a Lincoln Way in Worcester. I wonder if Lincoln. That's the same Lincoln Way. Yeah, I I, it, it runs all the way through. I think. Nice. Okay. I remember. Great. Well, maybe hey. somebody will hit us on Twitter and let us know what uh, the big burger was at Burger Chef. Yes, sir. Yeah. What's up with you this morning? Well, I'm, I was just thinking about this signing day. And Ohio State obviously does great in recruiting. You know what I'm excited for? And, and I won't pay off. But I always go back to A.J. Hawk, right? Yes. Remember, A.J. was like, a I don't know, one-star, two-star. Well, I think he was probably a three-star, which if you're a three-star, you're a one-star at Ohio State. Right, That's- yeah. I mean, so – I just think uh, those stories are the ones that interest me that, that come into in the future and tell us, oh, man, the, the recruiting experts missed on this guy. I do think the recruiting experts have gotten better. guy that does a really good job, if anybody's interested, in my opinion, is Tommy Luganville. I know yeah. Tommy pretty well. He puts the time and the effort, has the whole staff, and the guys that really do a, a, a great job at it. So I'm sure Ohio State's class – don't ask me who any of them are because I don't pay attention because it's not relevant until they start playing. But I'm sure the class has uh, got a very high grade. Yes, uh, this is uh, the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Our audio is a little different today. I'm in Arizona uh, here for the holidays and also here for the Fiesta Bowl. Spiels is back in Columbus getting ready to take off. Uh, Spiels is on speakerphone. Uh, through the miracle of technology. Uh, we'll sound a little bit different today, but uh, that's okay. We can still get the content to you. Where are you headed this weekend, my friend? Uh, back to D.C. Ooh. And, uh, it's uh, it's interesting to play the Giants in D.C., but it's actually a, a compliment for Fox because anytime the Giants are on, they get a great number sure. because of the market. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of cool that we're going to be able to do that. And, of course, that big story is, Who's going to be the starting quarterback? And as of today, I don't know. Pat Shermer hasn't made that decision. But uh, hold on, we'll Pat see. Shermer. Every time there's a Pat Shermer mention, Get it. oh, I had the, I had the sound out. Every time there's a Pat Shermer mention, if you want details, you're gonna to have to find it on Twitter. There we go. Yes. Uh, well, I've been looking on Twitter and I haven't found any details mm-hmm. to who's going to be the starting quarterback. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll see. But uh, one cool thing about it is Dwayne Haskins for Buckeye fans out there actually played his best game as a pro and played really well. And not only did he throw the ball well, Bruce, but he really ran the ball well, which is a surprise to some. Yeah, it not, is a surprise he's to some. Not, he's not Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray or even Aaron Rodgers. He's a, he's a guy like that's a, a young Ben Roethlisberger, who I, Dwayne reminds me of. Mm-hmm. But his improvement in the pocket and 
getting the feel of it and moving his shoulders around, finding throwing lanes. Uh, it's just been fun to watch. I mean, I've watched every game that he started in preparation, and his rapid improvement is a credit to Bill Callahan and Dwayne Haskins himself. So I think Dwayne's going to be pretty good. He looked really good last Sunday in a loss to Philly. Uh, yeah, and you said that he acknowledged to you in your sit-down with him pregame that he was not good the first time he took the field, but he didn't have a chance to be good because he hadn't had any reps in practice. No, and the other thing that people need to know about, and I, I love filling people in on Buckeyes in the NFL, at least when I get a chance to do them. You know, he's playing with three rookie wide receivers, too. Mm. And the, the, the highest drafted one is not number one pick either. Like Terry McLaurin, former Buckeye, was a third-round pick. And Terry's just uh, exploded onto the scene in the NFL. I, I just What a great year he's had for a rookie. And imagine being the best wide receiver on your NFL team where you couldn't get on the field regularly at Ohio State. Yeah, it's not bad for a third-round pick. It tells you something about the Buckeyes' talent. And, you know, and their talent's not going to – I mean, their, their quality's going to go down because when you get experienced players and guys who've been in the system, obviously, you can't replace a Jeff Okuda right away with uh, a freshman recruit. But, you know, uh, some of these wideouts that are leaving after this year, K.J. Hill, Austin Mack, Ben Victor, all three of whom have made big plays in Ohio State history. I noted the other day – SI now has its own uh, high school recruiting site, SI All-American, and uh, two of the three wide receivers on its All-American team. So two of the three best receivers in the country are Ohio State Buckeye commits. They've got an offensive tackle commit, Paris Johnson from the Cincinnati area. He's a five-star. They're waiting on a big haul of defensive backs today. So they look like they're going to lose their entire starting secondary, but they look like they're going to replenish their their secondary. And all these kids won't start as freshmen, and they may have one or two that flip. And, you know, there are sites and places you can go for all the ins and outs and lowdowns and details on recruits. We don't really get into that. We never have. And number one, I think it puts an undue amount of pressure on players. But, you know, uh, you uh, I know one of your favorite Buckeye recruiting stories deals with a, with a linebacker at Ohio State who I think in the class that he signed was the fourth highest touted linebacker, and he ended up being the best one. Yeah, that's A.J. Hawk, and that's kind of the stories that I look forward to and which guys really develop and, and kind of blossom once they get to Ohio State, and A.J. is the perfect example of that. I know that, a, yeah, you're right, A.J. wasn't the, I think he, he might even have been a late addition. I, I don't remember. I just know that he wasn't coming in with a lot of fanfare and turned out to be an All-American and had a nice NFL career and uh, really great player at Ohio State and great linebacker. But it's cool. You talk about the wide receivers and, and the defensive backs. And, you know, the biggest, obviously the biggest tool Ohio State has for recruiting, and what do you think it is? Well, it's the fact you're going to get to the NFL. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean, and that's – when I, we were getting in now, uh, when I was trying to advise Michigan on what to do. <laughs> yeah, she always have the Michigan Wolverines' best interest at heart. I, well, I do. I mean, I, I do. We've been over this. I do. But, I mean, that's what Ohio State has. And they have a track record of putting guys in the NFL. Because you think today is, it, I don't know, early National Signing Day or whatever it is today. Do you think how many of those kids today that are going to Ohio State or Georgia or Texas or Florida or or Alabama or Clemson, how many of them do you think want to be in the NFL? 100% of them. And they think they're going to be in the NFL. How Abs- many? Absolutely. Every single 100% one. 100% of them think they're going to be NFL players, right? Sure. 
So, and so Ohio State says, well, this is what we do. This is what you want. So come here and look what happens. And a perfect example you can uh, point to would be Terry McLaurin. You know, Urban was in the booth at Washington last week, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, there are various re- Now, if he's in the booth again this week, there's something going on. Right? Yes, yes. There's no Army-Navy game this week, and he just happens on his drive home. Oh, the Redskins <laughs> are playing today. Maybe I'll pull in and see if I can get in the owner's box. Yeah, yeah. instead of going straight, he, tur- he turned left and went south about three hours. So there you go. <laughs> um, but I-, I asked, we were talking about just football in general. We were talking about what he... What he looks for in quarterbacks, and, and, you know, it's interesting, his list of quarterback things, throwing was number five on his list. Ooh. Uh, next to toughness, competitiveness, smarts, being able to move or run the ball. Then I think somewhere there was something else, and number five came on the list. I said, Coach, I, I just want to make sure that I'm right when I say this. Now, even though you're the only 46th ranked coach of all time, mm-hmm. I still value your opinion. <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek, of course. Of course. I said, uh, what's the most important thing about college, being a college coach? Is it players? And he looked at me. He said, "Don't, Chris, I've known you for 27 years. You know the answer to that. Recruiting. You know, and, and like his – you ever see, if you ever talk to Urban, if, if something that he's absolutely sure about, his eyes get real big and he'll snap his head at you. Kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of Earl Bruce a little bit, the way coach used to be. But without hesitation, it was recruiting. And so everybody knows that. And that's why I put such an emphasis on recruiting and how important it is to replenish uh, great players with great players, and what a great job Ohio State has done over the years. Well, and it's going to be a rich get richer day for the elite programs in college football. Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, they're going to finish, you know, those five are going to finish somewhere in the top seven. Uh, the order will depend on one kid here or there, you know, either signing or not signing. Rivals had a stat this morning. There are 33 five-star kids across the country in its ratings. 22 of them are going to sign with Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. Now, does that <laughs> now does that mean that those schools, you know, four years from now are all going to – fill the playoff field no but it means probably two of them are and (laughs) you know back to our point on aj hawk and there's ample evidence of that this year in college football that there are always guys you don't expect you know the science of, of evaluating recruits has gotten way better but it's still not perfect and it can never be perfect but in that class at aj hawk sign the linebacker ohio state was most excited about was mike deandrea and and yep. then and then Stan White because Stan White's dad played at Ohio State and Bobby Carpenter was right there too, but those three Stan White, Bobby Carpenter, and Mike DeAndrea were all much more at least well known or highly touted than AJ Hawk, Troy Smith Heisman Trophy winner, uh, the quarterback everybody was excited about in that class was Justin Zwick. You look at Oklahoma State this year, Chuba Hubbard, their great running back, he was like a three star recruit. And Clemson, the Butkus Award winner, Isaiah Simmons, was the number 451 prospect in the country. So you can't be right on all of them. They'll miss on some. But these guys have gotten pretty good. And Ohio State's miss rate, I think, we used to say, you and I used to say 50-50. I think now it's 65-35, maybe 70-30 they get production out of the guys they sign. Well, I I think also because of, of the amount of success that they've had in recruiting and the payoffs, you grade on a curve. You know, for Ohio State, it's got to be 70-30. Mm-hmm. 
for Wisconsin, it's probably 50-50. But their mentality is different because they recruit system players. Then they have to be able to project who will fit into their system two years down the line. Because one other guarantee is that all these kids coming into Ohio State, they all think they're starters. Yes, that's true. Level. You know, it's it's kind of like the NFL. In the recruiting, I just want to make this point because I, I think you hit on something there. You, you talk about the the three stars and who turn, turns out to be a great player in the three stars. Well, look at the NFL draft. I mean, who's going to turn out to be – who are you going to get in the later rounds that are going to end up being starters that are projected as career-long backups? You know, yeah, very for true. example, like the best – there's two a lot of – few good rookie wide receivers. I think you can argue that McLaurin is the best. Well, he's a third-round pick. Yeah. So that's a big hit for the Washington Redskins. Uh, the uh, news overnight uh, dovetails back to your Big Ten career. Uh, the uh, Hayden Fry, the great uh, longtime Iowa head coach, has passed away at age 90, longtime battle with cancer. And Hayden Fry has some, uh, some very uh, interesting synergy with Ohio State football. Uh, Obviously, he was the opposing coach in the last game you ever played in Ohio Stadium. He was also the opposing coach on one of the greatest, I, th- I would think, memories you have in Ohio Stadium, the 1985 Iowa game when Iowa yep. was rated number one. And you had uh, how many picks in that game? I lost track. Was it two, one, three, four? Uh, I, I, had, uh, I only had two. I had an off day. Only two. A, yeah, well, my, nevertheless. My hamstring was a little tight. Yeah. Buckeyes persevered that day despite only two interceptions <laughs> from Chris Spielman. Uh, but people may not remember Hayden Fry was the opposing coach on the first game of the 1968 season when the super sophomores led by Rex Kern embarked on a 10 and 0 national championship season Hayden Fry was a coach at SMU then uh, he was uh 143 89 and 6 at Iowa until Kirk Ferentz passed him I think this year he was the all-time winner at Iowa and there's a lot of things about Iowa football that are always going to be tied to Hayden Fry the Tiger Hawk on the side of the helmet the Pittsburgh Steelers style uniforms the pink locker room um, a guy who won 232 games in his career, and his coaching tree spiels. All the Stoops brothers, Barry Alvarez, uh, Bill Snyder, the great Kansas State coach, yeah. Brett Bielema, a lot of guys have gone, Kirk Ferentz, a lot of guys have gone through that uh, Iowa pipeline under Hayden Fry, and uh, a college football Hall of Famer, a Rose Bowl Hall of Famer, and I don't know how much interaction you had uh, in your years as an analyst at ESPN with Hayden Fry or, you know, in your playing days with an opposing coach, but Hayden Fry is certainly a legend in Big Ten football. I didn't have a lot of interaction with Coach Fry, but it's interesting on Twitter reading some of the former players' uh, reaction to his passing and what they meant to him, right? I was reading what Chuck Long, for example, mm-hmm. who Chuck was a teammate of mine in a an enemy of mine when we were in college and a teammate or is enemy the right word? Am I allowed to still say that now? Oh, it's a podcast. You can can say say it on the podcast. Yes. You can't (laughs) say it on Fox or you'll get letters. (laughs) But uh, just what they meant, uh, Brett Bielema had a nice thing that uh, what coach Fry meant to them. And it goes back to the responsibility that I think coaches have is that how much they can mold and impact young people and, and have a direct effect on what those young people turn into when they get to be older people. And it's just kind of cool for me to read what those guys say and what a positive influence Coach Fry was on those guys. Uh, Stover Farms Custom Meats, the place to get the best steaks for your uh, upcoming Christmas dinner parties. Breast Christmas turkey, you'll get it at Stover Farms Custom Meats. you got to order it ahead of time. They're at 4000 Presidential Parkway. In Powell, Trevor Stover. 
Uh, his lovely wife, Chelsea. They are the parents of Cade Stover, Buckeye linebacker, and uh, defensive end. He's a former Mr. Football. Feed your kids the protein that uh, built Mr. Football. We can't guarantee you a D1 scholarship, but we can guarantee you the best steaks, hamburgers, chops, poultry, and uh, pork that you've ever eaten. Stover Farms Custom Meats. Tell them you're a Spielman and Hooley listener. They'll give you a special bonus gift up until recently, and it may still be uh, in vogue. A free pound of hamburger for every pound you buy. But tell them you're a Spielman and Hooley listener, and they'll have a special deal for you. 4,000 Presidential Parkway online. Uh, StoverFarmsCustomMeats.com. You know, Spiels, you mentioned that uh, coach-player relationship. Uh, Jeff Halfley taking over at Boston College. I was reading the uh, the backstory of his hiring. Martin Jarmon, former Ohio State uh, athletic director. Uh, the Athletic did a great piece on how they came to hire Jeff Halfley. And the thing they were most impressed was Halfley's desire to make a difference in, in young people's lives. He's coached in the NFL. Ryan Day's coached in the NFL. What I've seen with Ryan this year is, uh, in terms of how the players are invested in him and he's invested in them. It's the same thing with Urban, a little different, but you know, certainly Urban cared a lot about his players and the players uh, have a great affinity for Coach Meyer. There's a difference in coaching pro to college. I, I don't know, in the NFL, but you've been greatly impacted by uh, a guy like Frank Gans, a guy like Marv Levy. Uh, what would you say about that ability of coaches to relate to players in the NFL and in college? Is it the same or is there a difference? Well... I think there's a little bit more, and I would be remiss if I didn't and say a guy like Bill Conley, who is my position coach at Ohio State, who I spent a lot of time with, right? Mm-hmm. Because you spend a lot of time with your position coach, Gary Blackney, who is our coordinator, guys that I've talked to, and I can't, I'll never forget. Well, I don't know if you, I'm sure you remember this, Bruce. Remember when Coach Blackney's wife fell yeah. ill? Yeah. And how he was had to manage what was going on at home and little also, children very difficult yeah. situation yeah and so i learned a lot of life lessons just by observing and watching and listening there's a, a guy named herb patera wayne fonts uh ted cottrell who i had up in buffalo and wade phillips and the impact oftentimes coaches don't know the impact that they have until I read something by Chuck Long about what the impact that Hayden Fry had on his career, because um, you, because the, it's you just I always observe people. You know this about me. I always observe people, and if there are people that I admire or how they admire their situation, that has an impact on me. So when something comes up in my life, I can draw back on not only my own experiences but others' experiences and see how they handled it and see if it's applicable to my situation. And I use that information to help me. So all those people, all the coaches that I've had in my life have had a major impact on me. And I would be remiss if we're talking about coaches, if, if I didn't speak of my, my father, who mm-hmm. was a high school football coach. And he was the one that ingrained in me uh, the passion for the game and what it took to be uh, a good player. I mean, when he throws a, a, a five-year-old in the inside linebacker meetings, you know, that had an impact on me because I understood the position. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just crazy. And he, ingr- he ingrained in me that you uh, play through the whistle, not to the whistle. You know, play till the whistle stops. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, coaches are, they have a tremendous responsibility. I think most of them know that, and most of them take it very seriously. You know, we went through that era where it was uh, sort of the general 
uh, consensus was that college coaches didn't work in the NFL. Steve Spurrier, I mean, I think Butch Davis is probably the best Browns coach they've had, but you know, Butch had a nervous breakdown as the Browns head coach. I think he had too much on his plate. Well, that's not that's not surprising, right? No, no nothing's surprising. <laughs> well, we'll get to the calendar of dysfunction, which we need like a bigger calendar for my squad this week. But, uh, you know, the thing now, uh, you know, then Pete Carroll went was thought to be a failure as a pro coach. Then he went to college and he was outstanding as uh, USC's head coach. And now he's back in the pros and everybody's like, oh, Pete Carroll's got it figured out. And now, you know, there are rumors we don't know. Urban, Lincoln, Riley, we think, you and I both think, Ryan Day will eventually head back to the NFL. You were a high-level player at both uh, the college and NFL levels. Do you think there's something, a trait, talent, characteristic, something that makes a guy ideally suited to the NFL or ideally suited to the pros because Halfley was in the NFL and... He said he wanted to get back to college because he wanted that relationship with the players. Yeah. Is there a characteristic that you see or you would say, hey, you got to have this if you want to be really good in college, and you got to have this. Obviously, beyond the ability to recruit, you got to have right. this if you really want to be able. I'm thinking more for personal relational skills or ability to maintain discipline, or what is it that makes a Belichick great at the NFL level? I don't know. Maybe he would work in college, but maybe he wouldn't. Well, I, I think, look, all those guys – we get have X's nose, right? Sure. And I, I, and one guy you forgot that went from college to the NFL that was a, a success. At Jimmy Johnson, I would say, mm-hmm. would be would be considered a gr- great success, no doubt, to be able to make that transition. So here's the two things that I know about those guys, all those guys, and I've been to their practices. It's the standard that they set for the practice field. And the standard that they set for the games, and that what's ex- what's accepted and what's not accepted, and for all those guys, it's a pursuit of excellence and trying to get to that excellence, knowing you're never going to get there, but still holding your players to a, an accountability level and to be able to maximize their talent. Here's the other thing, Bruce, that I think some coaches make the biggest mistake, and the great ones don't because they have so much security in who they are. They're not afraid to hire people that may be deemed a threat to them. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense it to does. anybody. You, you know, I've, without names, because I just don't think it's, it's right, I've worked with coaches who uh, would not hire maybe the best guys that they could hire because the things went uh, off track a little bit they might have been afraid that somebody would be deemed a threat to them to take their job. All the great ones surround themselves with the best players. And the other thing, and we saw this with Urban, you think he holds his players to a high standard? Mm. But what about holding the coaches to a higher standard? And if that standard isn't met, goodbye. Yeah, I mean, we're looking here at a – Rematch in the Fiesta Bowl, the 2016 Fiesta Bowl. Buckeyes are in the playoff. They're ultra successful. Uh, they go out. Their offense in that game. Clemson paid no attention to the pass. Ohio State threw for 125 yards. And it's the two guys who shared the offensive coordinator duties. Uh, goodbye. And in comes Kevin Wilson and in comes Ryan Day. And that hits it exactly what you said. Kevin Wilson had been a head coach before at Indiana. Uh, Urban was never shy. This is one of the great traits that urban had he was never shy about going out and hiring great coaches and uh 
you know, and it hit, and really urban style is a little bit different. I think uh, Jim Tressel hired guys that he knew, guys who had that Youngstown State pedigree. Uh, his coaching tree is probably not going to be as robust as Urban's coaching tree is going to be at some point in time because some coaches like to do things uh, with a familiarity for their systems, right. and some guys like to have new ideas. Hey, we did it this way at Oklahoma. We did it this way here. I mean, you know, Larry Johnson coming here from Penn State, that's a guy who had like 18 years at Penn State before he came here. And that's Urban Urban saw him. Greg and hey, Madison. Yeah, Greg Madison, absolutely. Great example. Ryan Day's not afraid of that either. Uh, the thought is that Ryan Day will go out and uh, try to get Kerry Combs to come here from the Tennessee Titans. Kerry Combs did a great job coaching the secondary at Ohio State for six years. I remember when Tim Spencer uh, left Ohio State to go to the Chicago Bears, Tim said it was a, basically a decision for his future. Obviously, a former Buckeye, you'd think, oh, he'd stay at Ohio State forever, but there's something about coaching in the NFL with, I don't know whether it's the retirement or whatever it is that Spence thought he had to do. Uh, what's the, what's the, Kerry Combs knows what it's like at Ohio State. He knows the schedule of being a college assistant. He knows the schedule of being a pro assistant. He's working for the guy that hired him, Mike Vrabel. What are the differences for assistant coaches at the college level and at the pro level that Kerry Combs will be weighing if, in fact, Ryan Day is trying to recruit him back here? Well, the time, right? I mean, obviously, NFL coaches, uh, assistant coaches put a ton of time in during the season, uh, because they're most most coach most guys do, but in college, what do you have to do? You also have to be worried about recruiting, mm-hmm. right? So there's another evaluation process that assistant coaches are under is recruiting. Well, in the NFL, you're not worried about recruiting. I mean, I know Rick does this as a general manager that he will have all the position coaches grade guys at their position, match it up with what the scouts grades are. Then if they draft that guy, he has a piece of paper that says, well, you said you could work with him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, But I think uh, obviously the biggest difference is recruiting. And there are – and being on the road and, you know, working one-on-one and trying to win your recruiting battles and trying to flip a kid or whatever it may be, that's probably the more stressful part of being a college assistant coach, to be honest with you. It, and because you think about it, I mean, and the football part's the fun part, right? That's sure. what us football junkies all love to do is sit in a room, watch film, say, oh, we can get him here, we can get him there, or here's a matchup that we can take advantage of, or helping young guys play. But the biggest stressor is, I would think, for me, would be the recruiting, right? Because you also got to go compete and win those battles. Here's what I think Kerry Combs wants, if you want my opinion on mm-hmm. him. I think he wants to be a head college football coach. I think he is a guy that thrives in the college game. I think his enthusiasm is not matched by many. I think he loves recruiting. He's very good at recruiting. He has an outstanding uh, resume as far as being a high school coach, especially in the state of Ohio. And I think that would be his ultimate goal. Now, I don't know what he's going to do. I think there's a little more um security at ohio state than there is in the nfl not just tennessee although tennessee's having a pretty good year fighting for a playoff spot Mm -hmm. i I, but i do think there's a little more security at ohio state so i think those are the options that he's going to have to weigh well it's interesting how this comes together or the other one of the other names that's thrown out there and i think this is thrown out there more 
because it makes sense to fans as opposed to making sense for who this coach is, where he is, and his relationship to Ryan Day. Then I've heard Marcus Freeman, who's the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati under Luke Fickle. Right. Many Cincinnati people believe strongly that Marcus Freeman is going to be the next head coach at Cincinnati you know, when, not if, Luke leaves. And Luke's going to have right. opportunities every year to leave. And he's got most of his guys back next year. They're going to have at least a 9 or a 10, maybe 11 win season next year. So if Luke doesn't pick something off, you know, the tree this year, he he can whenever he wants to. Uh, but Kerry Combs, I think, Spiels, would be a guy that Cincinnati would look at too because oh, yeah. of his career as a Colerain. Uh, so that's an interesting thing there. If Kerry Combs wants to be a head coach at Cincinnati – I don't think he needs to do anything else other than he could stay with the Tennessee Titans and make that jump. Would it be advantageous for him to get back into the college game? Um, and Marcus Freeman no. to be the head coach at Cincinnati. Would he be better off staying right where he is at Cincinnati, or would he be better off if Ohio State would have an interest coming to Ohio State and being a coordinator for a year? I, I don't think Kerry Combs needs to do anything to be the head coach at Cincinnati. I don't think it matters. You agree with me on that? I right? do. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he's well-known in Cincinnati, and his NFL yeah. pedigree would only help him be an even more effective recruiter. Right. I think Marcus is going to have plenty of opportunities for plenty of jobs uh, as, as his career progresses forward. I mean, he's still a young guy, right? Yep. I mean, we're getting old because I remember now these coaches as players. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, and I think Marcus is going to – I think Marcus would benefit actually from coming from Ohio State. I think just just because the, the difference is Kerry is as well-known in Cincinnati as any human being in Cincinnati, right, because of his coal rating connections. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he already put his time in at Ohio State. He's an NFL guy. All that fits, right? That just fits. Where Marcus, not many people know Marcus. Marcus has done a great job. And I actually, you think about it too, what a great job of Luke Fickle of identifying a talent like Marcus Freeman and putting a young guy in charge to run his defense. Yeah. And that, it's uh, both of them will hopefully have their opportunities. But to answer your question, Kerry doesn't need to do anything to get the Cincinnati job, in my opinion. I think it would help Marcus, and this is just my opinion, if he would come to Ohio State if Ryan Day does uh, indeed choose to go that way. But I really believe that if Ryan Day has his choice or his pick, I think Kerry Combs would be the guy that he wants. Uh, well, there are coaches who need to do a little bit more to uh... – either get a better job or keep the job that they have, which brings us to the Cleveland Browns and Freddie Kitchens, who play the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday. Now, they handled the Ravens quite easily at M&T Bank Stadium the first time, but boy, has life changed for Lamar Jackson. Nobody was talking about him as NFL MVP. Not even Chris Spielman, one of his biggest fans, was talking about Lamar Jackson at that point in time, but uh, people were talking Maybe about I were. I think I was. Okay. okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> Uh, many people were then and still are talking about Freddie Kitchen's future with the Cleveland Browns. And uh, you and I have made light of my need to start a Browns dysfunction calendar. Uh, it's going to have to be a calendar that takes up an entire wall somewhere because you need a lot of space on every day. You never know what's going to come up. Let me see. This week we have, uh, since our podcast on Monday... We have Kareem Hunt saying that uh, not every player was giving 110% at Arizona. Uh, we have Freddie Kitchens yesterday 
saying that he misspoke after the game when he said he didn't care about his job security. He said, of course I care about his job, my job security. Uh, <laughs> we have Mike Silver of NFL Media reporting that not only, uh, and this was Jay Glazer's report, has Odell Beckham said to opposing players, come get me, but that Jarvis Landry and other Browns were yelling to the Arizona Cardinals sideline Sunday, come get me, meaning please get me out of Cleveland. So fresh dysfunction. Uh, it's always the soup of the day, the soup du jour with the Cleveland Browns as they get ready to play the Baltimore Ravens this week. So I was thinking about this last night when I read all this yes. again, and I forwarded it to you and yes. say it, it just never stops. And like I used to kind of laugh at you and not take you seriously when you said it never stops. But now it's I once I started paying attention, you're right. It never stops. Nope. And I think the number one goal for the Cleveland Browns this offseason should be, let's see how many days in a row can we go without being a headline story on profootballtalk.com. That would be a great goal. That's I, I think that's the goal. And when you have these reports in – they're true. I don't care what they say. Every time you have to come back and, and say this, I meant to say this. Yes. You know, I, this, I misspoke. I, I it was just playing with my boys that I, Hey, get me out of here so I can get to the four, eight, four, nine and one Cardinals. So I can light it up there. Yeah. That hasn't been yeah. said by very many players in the league. So, but the other thing is, do you think coaches and GMs pay attention to all the noise that these guys are making? And not everybody is like uh, John Dorsey, yeah. where John will overlook things for talent. Uh, you, I mean, some guys, now if you have a strong enough locker room, like the New England Patriots or the Seattle Seahawks, who can handle that, and your leader is a guy like Brady or Russell Wilson – who is actually your best worker and the most team-oriented guy, then maybe you can handle bringing in one of those guys because that guy's message of me, me, me gets drowned out. But when your leader is a young guy that I think is still learning the ropes in Baker Mayfield, and he's a CYA mode guy all the time, everybody is, is fending for themselves. And so... Do I think I, – I, I never want to call for anybody's job. I think Freddie was given major egos to manage, and he didn't do a very good job of that. I wouldn't have a problem with them giving, with them giving him one more year because I, if he does that, then I think he's really got to start dropping the hammer, man, when these guys say that and, and start, you know, sitting them. And it could be the detriment to, of his job, but – Obviously, his message on what he's preaching about team and we're focused and we're ready to move on and we're, it doesn't resonate with any of these guys because these guys are serving themselves before they serve the team. Well, here's my thing with that, though. Um, it's a little bit like parenting. You know, I think when you're parenting, you're better off if you start early, ingraining, you know, a set of discipline at home. And I'm not talking about physical discipline, but I'm talking about, you know, if a kid throws a fit and then you reward them for what they're throwing a fit for. I'll give you an example. I was someplace recently that I go frequently and there was like a three-year-old girl and a one-year-old boy and the sister pressed the elevator button and the boy threw a fit. And I mean, he threw a fit and a fit and a fit and the fit kept going. 
So the elevator door opens and mom and the two kids don't get in. And they let the elevator door close. And then the little boy who's still screaming at the top of his lungs gets to press the button. And the minute he presses the button, he stops screaming. Okay. Flash forward two or three days later. I said to, I said to a person there observing this, I said, what do you think that kid's going to do the next time he doesn't get to press the button? Well, he's going to throw a fit because he just threw a fit and he got rewarded for it because mom let him have his way. She waited to get on the elevator until he pressed the button. Sure enough, same exact scene plays out two or three days later. He throws a fit. Mom does the exact same thing. In that regard, applying that to the Browns, Freddie Kitchens, he's, I, he, he maybe has waited too long here. I mean, because now I don't know how he gets back a hold of his authority that he had when he was named head coach. If he puts his arms around this kind of crap at the beginning when it starts, and I'd have to go back to the dysfunction calendar to find out. Well, I'll give you an example. Antonio Callaway, when he tests positive for PEDs, after they took a chance on him in the draft, after he got arrested in a traffic incident and didn't tell them about it, until, and they found out about it through news reports, I said at the time, cut him right now. Cut him. Send a message to the team. We're not putting up with this crap. They didn't because talent always trumps baggage with the Browns. And what happened later? Antonio Callaway kept letting him down, kept letting him down on the field, off the field, and they eventually had to cut him. Chris, I think they've the ship has sailed on Freddie Kitchens as disciplinarian. I don't know how you get your arms around it at this point. Uh, there's only one way you can do it is if the owner takes control of that and and take it out of the coach's hands. I don't know if that's ever been done or has ever worked before, but I think we saw this with Janoris Jenkins with the New York Giants, right? Janoris Jenkins, starting corner. We, did we talk about We did, yeah. He tweeted. The owner told him to retract the tweet. He didn't do it. Boom, cut. See ya. Bye-bye. Yeah. And so uh, do you think Jerry Jones, I think Jerry Jones would take ownership of that where that the onus is not on the coach all the time. So maybe if the owner would say, look, this is poor reflection on our team. Uh, if if you don't want to be here, then you got to have the, you got to pull the trigger, you know. And that, but it, it's it's a, but you as the owner, you don't want to be bothered with that. That's why you're paying a guy five million dollars a year to handle that crap. Yeah. So yeah. so it's a fine line. Uh, I think we have ample evidence here of what needs to be done. And I get that they don't want to do it because they've fired a lot of coaches early and turnovers always seen as bad. But I also think retaining a losing hand, I mean, there's a reason why in a poker hand, you throw three cards back in a pot and ask for three new ones. I mean, your cards aren't going to get any better just because you hold on to them. And I, I feel kind of bad for Freddie Kitchens because they didn't help him enough uh, you know, with the things that he had never done, uh, they didn't set an organizational culture, which can be set by the owner, which can be set by the GM. I think they left it to Freddie, and they let all that mid, all that offseason chirping go on about how good they're going to be and this and that and the other, and nobody was an adult in the room to step up and say, hey, knock this garbage off. We've done nothing. We've proven nothing. And now we get them struggling to get to 500 um, they play the Ravens. If they lose that one, um, you know, they're assured to finish under 500. I just think they know they have a losing hand and continue to play that losing hand as distasteful as it is to fire Freddie kitchens for them. I think it's, don't you feel like eventually they're going to have to do it? So if you know, you're going to eventually have to do it, why don't you just do it? Well, my rule is I like to give 
uh, guys three years. For example, you know my Twitter war going on with the Lions. Yes, they're they're giving their people a chance, and I'm sure their fans are thrilled about it. Well, there's also a reason though, because there's been, you know, they're on their third street free agent running back. They're one of their top wide receivers is on IR. Matthew Stafford has been out. They're on their they're on their third quarterback, who by the way was in the Browns training camp, David Blau from yes. Purdue. And he looked good, by the way, in the yeah, Browns yeah. camp. I mean, he, he, yeah, and he, he's done a nice job, but you're not going to win with an undrafted free agent quarterback in his rookie year. So there are reasons yes. why the Lions struggled, and that's why I think it's fair to give them a third year. Now, I agree. third year conditions that, hey, you know, we're making a playoff run in December. We're not, you know, three – nine and one sitting here wondering what the heck happened or whatever they are. So, uh, but with this, I, I don't, you had your quarterback, you have your receivers, you have a defense that's been wildly inconsistent and I don't think they've been devastated by injuries. In fact, you got a boost with your one B running back in Kareem hunt. So, and the other issue is, and it seemed not to, nobody seemed to care, but you and I cared and I remember pointing out one of our very first podcasts that one big concern for me was the offensive line with the Browns. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they've played up to uh, a level that would be considered winning football. No, well, they have, you know, very bad tackles and you can't win in the NFL with bad tackles. So they'll address that in the draft. I, I just look, I mean, I think your Detroit Lions example makes a lot of sense to me because they've had adversity at the quarterback position, at the running back position. With the Browns, you're talking about a number one overall pick. You're talking about Nick Chubb at tailback or running back. You're talking about Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry playing all season long. Uh, the Browns have not been undone by injury. Sure, they've had some with Njoku and Christian yeah. Kirksey, but even now that Njoku's back, he's not back because he went rogue in practice and wouldn't block and wouldn't run the right routes. And again, more in... Well, here... Here's the number one thing, Bruce, and this is it's 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 like it's a virus that gets into the locker room and it finds a host. Yeah. The host brings it into the locker room. The virus goes to another host, which then goes to another host. Then what you have is at the end of the Arizona game, you not only have Jarvis Landry, but as Mike Silver reported to others screaming their hands or screaming about hey get me out of here bring me to arizona you guys got it going on here you know <laughs> you lost six in a row you beat us you got six in a row down and one up i'd rather be with you i mean right and so yeah i think the the culture is just awful there and when you have guys and it's being reported and you can't i mean back when i was a player you could say some things because there wasn't twitter and there weren't ears everywhere right yep now it's everywhere and if you say something out of frustration and that gets somebody else to stay out of frustration the same things and you have multiple guys saying get me out of here how are you going to build a winning team with that attitude can't be You're done. not can't be yeah. done not in a not in a division where the ravens and the steelers are as solid organizationally um, as any organization in the nfl except maybe new england and those are the teams you're competing with for playoff berths. Uh, we want to thank you for reviewing our podcasts uh, on an ongoing basis. That really does help us go to iTunes and review the podcast. You can go to pleasereviewmypodcast.com backslash Spielman and Hooley for a tutorial on how to do that. Our review of the day comes from Nick in Cleveland. He says, gentlemen, thank you for the time you 
take to do this show. I enjoy listening when I can. I'm a Buckeye fan, follower of Jesus, and pastor of a church in Worcester. It's great to hear the different takes on the teams I follow and remember at the end what really matters in life. He says, funny story, Spiels. One time I was at the main event, a Buckeye outreach done in the Trestle era, and a woman was 100% convinced I was you, Chris. She wanted an autograph, and I kindly told her I wasn't you. She wouldn't believe me, so I signed the paper she handed me. Afterwards, she looked at it, saw that I had signed my own name, and in disgust said, Not funny, Chris. She said, He said, I don't know why, but I don't think I look like a former NFL anything. Keep up the good work, Chris. So there, you have a doppelganger somewhere who's a pastor in Worcester, or at least did back in 2002, I think, when the main event happened. Uh, I, you know what? I, I've heard so many stories about where I've been, uh, where I've been arrested, what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't surprise me. Do you get, uh, when you're traveling with the NFL, do you get, or, you know, to cover an NFL game? Do you get recognized in airports? Do you get mistaken for anybody? Does anybody think you're, I don't know, Vin Diesel or, you know, anybody else? Um, I, I get Brad Pitt a lot. Oh, do you? Yeah. <laughs> then you wake up after a good night's sleep. <laughs> Actually, my celebrity looker, like people tell me, is Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. Oh. Maybe you th- you're always wearing a hat, so maybe with the hat. Yeah, yeah. Maybe with the um, hat. I, I I do get recognized, yeah. Uh, not like by every single person, but by football fans. Yes. You know, and I get asked, which is, is great and it's fine, which, you know, I don't mind. Uh, it's funny. My life is, my life outside of my private life is defined as I either get recognized by cancer patients or somebody that's has a family member who has cancer or a friend or football fans. That's where the world that I live in. Well, that might be a good time for us to segue into the faith portion of the podcast, which is brought to us by Flashes of Fun Photography. They'll take your family pictures, any kind of a portrait, indoors, outdoors, pet pictures. They're easy to work with. You want to have your pet in the picture, that's fine with them. Flashes of Fun, very affordable. Their pictures used over 2 million times worldwide on Unsplashed, and uh, you can find them on the web and save money on your booking at flashesofun.com. But that's what they're all about, is saving you money, working with you, and uh, using it as a ministry to uh, spread love and, uh, you know, ingrain those great family moments. Nothing uh, welds in a great time in your life like uh, a photograph, and particularly at this time of year. Uh, we love getting the Christmas cards. I don't know if we've got this. Uh, we, do we have a Spielman family Christmas card. Your pictures are always so well done that you send out. I got the Fitz family Christmas card the other day. That was very well done. Uh, that's not my department. Not your I department. No. no. Very good. Hey, well, you can book thing. online at flashesofun.com. Yes, sir. <laughs> the best thing about my house is that we have defined roles and everybody knows their role. In fact, the Browns should come down, observe my house for a week, and see what playing a role is like and understanding your role and executing your role. Very good. Well, that we can always <laughs> offer that as, you know, uh, an add-on to our two guys in a basement NFL consulting firm. That they can actually may pay a personal visit to your house to see how Kerry runs a tight ship. Yeah, to understand roles. Yes, you know? 
Exactly. I, I know my role is completely clear, and it has to do with trash and cleanup and uh, actually actually financing the whole program. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, that's our role as men is to finance the whole operation. Um, you know, uh, when you meet when you see Urban again, uh, when now that you're headed to Washington this week, if Urban's back in Dan Snyder's box, I wondered last week did you did you ask to say, hey, you know, uh, Hooli and I are starting this uh, NFL consulting business. You know, would you like to join us in our endeavor? What do you think? I mean, uh, that you would know. that would help that would help with our uh, advertising. That would really help. Yeah, that would add credibility <laughs> to the whole entire operation. Absolutely, it would. <laughs> All right, as we wrap this one up, in Friday's podcast, we're going to go uh, a lot deeper on Clemson and Ohio State as both those teams will be wrapping up their practices on their respective campuses, and uh, they'll fly to, fly to Arizona on uh, Sunday. Uh, so we will get more heavily into Clemson and Ohio State and the matchups and how it's different than the last time and all that. But uh, as I am in Arizona now and you are in Ohio, we didn't have a chance to confer face-to-face this morning. Uh, do you want to start us off on the faith road today or uh, or leave that one to me? Yeah, I got something that uh, I actually found last night in anticipation uh, for this podcast. And it goes to, uh, I think especially as, you know, we have to live our, our lives the same way publicly as we do privately, right? Mm-hmm. And And so sometimes... Privately, uh, whether it's thoughts or what you're doing, maybe we fall short or through temptation or whatever, we fall short. So what's what's motivational to keep you from falling short? What mindset, what thought can you have run through your mind to help you make good choices and good decisions when you're, like we talked about on Monday, either being spiritually attacked or when temptation is tapping your shoulder? And it comes from Luke uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 2. Nothing completely covered will remain covered, and nothing hidden will remain unknown. So that's just motivation more than anything to uh, try to be God's child 100% of the time in all ways, in all situations, at all times. Yeah, and I think for for me, you know, I've tried this, and I know you've tried this in our own strength, and that's always uh, a losing loser. proposition. It's a loser. Can't do it. Uh, and, and there's so many things in the Christian life that you just say, you know, it's, it's 100% opposite of what my inclination is as a human. Well, yes, of course, because we're all born with a sinful nature, and we'd all, uh, you know, rather exist outside the boundaries than inside the boundaries. And you say, well, what, you know, then that's a failing proposition. I can't do it. You're telling me I can't do it. Why would I even try to do it? Because when you come to Christ, when you surrender your life to him, when you claim the peace of being forgiven for your mistakes, you're freed of the burden of trying to be perfect in your own strength. Because you know that when you mess up, that issue's already settled. Christ has already settled that at the cross. You're already forgiven. You're not claiming your own goodness to get into heaven. You're saying, I know I'm not good enough, but thankfully Jesus was good enough. He loved me enough to come and die for me. I'm claiming his perfection. So when I mess up, I don't have to worry about, oh, am I in or am I out? No, no, I'm in. And because I claim his perfection, he gives me the gift of his strength in me, of his Holy Spirit in me, and I'm relying on that power 
to bear up against these temptations, wrong thoughts, wrong behaviors, snap anger, things like that, that I struggle with. That's my big struggle is language and snap anger. I mean, I really have to, you know, deal with those things. And you've mentioned before too, we're influenced by the influencers in our life. When I'm around uh, guys that I hung with 20 years ago, it's harder for me to police my language than it is when I'm with my in-laws, my brother-in-laws, my wife, my kids. Uh, so, you know, in those moments, I got to go into them and know that I'm going to be tempted more and I got to channel that Holy Spirit power within me to bear up. But always know that I'm forgiven when I screw up and you don't have to beat yourself up because the devil loves to beat you up. See, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Well, that's not what it's about, my man. It's about Jesus being good enough and he settled that at the cross. Well, there's also a recognition, in, and I believe it's in uh, First or Second Corinthians. And I apologize; I used to have it memorized. I don't now, but it's if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, yeah. and He will forgive that's us. First John one nine. First yeah. John one nine. Yeah, thank you. You're correct, and uh, that's the first one you got right. Yeah, way. I know. I'm not usually good at uh, quoting. And those. the armor of God is in Thessalonians, by the way. There no, it go. isn't. No, it isn't. Okay. No. I mean, it might be, but the it's Ephesians six, isn't it? Put on the full armor of God. Uh, I thought it was Thessalonians. We'll we'll have the answer on Friday. I can <laughs> promise you that. Yes, we will have the answer on Friday. But uh, any other time, we have all the answers. In case there's any NFL teams listening, we have all the answers uh, to uh, everything that you want to know in terms of the NFL. Uh, two guys, basement consulting, right? Maybe with Urban Meyer, maybe not with Urban Meyer. Probably not with Urban Meyer, but uh, we're willing to give it a shot. If Urban wants to come aboard, that would be fine. Would we put his name in the title, or are we rolling with uh, two guys in the basement? I like Urban Meyer joins two guys in the basement. <laughs> Urban Meyer sets straight two guys in the basement. That would be the way to go. Uh, that'll do it for a Wednesday edition of the Spielman and Hooley podcast. We hope you have a great Wednesday. A great National Signing Day to the Buckeyes. We'll be back on Friday with more We Tackle Life. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on uh, Facebook. Um, get in the word. Stay in the word. Email the show. Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for your time today. Everybody have a wonderful, wonderful Wednesday. Wednesday.